This morning, I'd like for you, if you have your Bibles with you, to go ahead and open them to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. John, chapter 20, devices, Bibles, all are welcome. I'll read it to you in a moment. As you're doing that, let me share with you a story. There was a man in Chicago who left for a vacation in Florida. His wife was going to join him, but she was in the middle of a business commitment, and she was planning on following up and meeting him the following day, and they were going to rendezvous in Florida. When he got down to Florida, he reached his hotel, and he didn't have a lot of time, but he quickly decided to send his wife a quick email just confirming that he had arrived. He um, accidentally when he was typing in the email address, made an error. Now, that's not a good thing when you're sending an email to your spouse. That's not a good thing to make a mistake on the email address. And he only changed it by one letter. So he sent off this email thinking that it was going to his wife, but unfortunately, it was directed instead to a minister's wife who was elderly, and he had passed away, died the day before. All right, you get this picture? I know you know you can tell this isn't going, it's not going to go well, right? Her husband had passed away only the day before, so here we have a grieving widow. She checked her email, she looked at the computer screen, and she let out this piercing scream, and she fell over and died. At the sound, her family rushed in to find her, over, laid out on the floor, having, and then they found this note on the computer monitor. And this is what the note said. This was the email. Just got checked in. Everything prepared for your arrival tomorrow. Your loving husband. P.S. It sure is hot down here. It's not good, is it? I, I thought to myself, what could be more powerful than news from the other side of death? Right? Nothing more powerful than that. She thought she was getting news, uh, but she really wasn't. The truth of the matter is, is that Easter is far more than that. It is powerful news from the other side, but it's not from hell, it's from heaven, amen? And it's not just news, it's good news, amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, good news. Today I want to talk to you about the fact that the resurrection changes everything, everything. And I'd like to use as my text this morning, John chapter 20. And I'm going to jump around a couple of verses here. So uh, if you will, just follow with me. And I think you're going to get a feel for the story. We're going to look at the first two verses, and then we'll skip down a little bit later. This is Easter Sunday. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary of Magdala went to the tomb and saw that the stone 
had been removed from the entrance, and so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now, if you will, skip over to verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And now Thomas, who was one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And when the other disciples told him that they had seen the Lord, he declared, Well, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand to his side, I'm not going to believe it. And a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Let me set the context for John chapter 20 just to make sure but you know what has happened before this point. We find ourselves at a very critical juncture following the time that the disciples had gathered with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane just prior to his arrest. We know that after he had been arrested and as he was going through his sufferings prior to being nailed on the cross, the disciples, many of them, denied him. And all of them were dispersed, fleeing for their very lives, in fear that they might also be arrested with Jesus. Then, of course, we know that he hung on the cross and was treated as a criminal. And we know that he died and had been in the ground for three days. After his resurrection, we begin reading in John chapter 20 of the events that took place immediately on that Easter morning. What you may not remember is that Jesus actually, having raised from the dead, actually walked and spent time on the earth for 40 days. I've often said those 40 days have to be some of the most miraculous days. I can't wait to see a DVD in heaven about those 40 days. Can you imagine? 40 days in his resurrected body, glorified body, and he's walking around doing all kinds of stuff meeting with people, talking with folks, popping up on, a, on the road to Emmaus, walking through doors, all kinds of extraordinary things all taking place during those 40 days. Actually, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that he appeared to over 500 people. 500 appearances, or, or I should say appearances that included over 500 people over that 40-day period. This is a remarkable 
season and time and narrative that really demands some close scrutiny. I think it's exciting to read about the things that Jesus did during those 40 days. We just read a few of them here in John chapter 20. But I really do believe that from this story, we find a lot of encouragement. And in fact, I want to suggest to you this morning from this text, we find five specific changes that the resurrection resulted in. Talking about changes in the lives of people. Talking about individuals who were greatly impacted and affected by the resurrection. So if you would join me, please, we're going to look at these five. And may I contend and assert that these five changes that we're going to see happen to people here in John chapter 20 are also available for you and for me. These are five changes that today the resurrection can result in in your life and in mine. So let's look at them and learn from them. The first one is he gives hope to the hopeless. He gives hope to the hopeless. You will notice, in we already read the first two verses of John 20, but if you'll notice also, the scripture tells us in verse 11 through 13 about Mary of Magdala, or many times we say Mary Magdalene. It tells us that Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept, She bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been at the head, one at the head, one at the foot. And they said, woman, why are you crying? She said, they've taken my Lord away. Who was Mary Magdalene? It's helpful just to remember who she was. Did you know that tradition refers to her as the scarlet sinner? Mary Magdalene? What we do know is she was one of the most devoted of the disciples of Jesus. In fact, her name being mentioned more often than most of the other 12 disciples. She was an ardent, dedicated, devoted follower of Jesus. In fact, we see her also as a key figure present at both the resurrection and the crucifixion. She was there. So we really need to Think just a moment about this dear woman. You will notice that in Mark's version uh, of this story, in chapter 16, verse 9, if you want to reference it on your own, it speaks of Mary Magdalene as one who had seven demons cast out. This is a woman who came from an oppressed background. This is a woman that understood what it meant to encounter demonic activity in her life. She had been bound by the enemy, completely bound. But when she came to Jesus, Jesus had completely set her free. Now, I want you to know that today, in this particular story that we're reading in John chapter 20, here we find Mary Magdalene. She is being moved with with deep concern and grief over where her Savior is. But notice that he gives hope. He gives hope even to the hopeless. As we see here in the story, basically the hope for Mary Magdalene was she had continual hope of overcoming her past. The fact that Jesus was raised from the dead now gave her more assurance than ever that the demons weren't going to come back and that she was free and that everything that Jesus had done in her life, he had delivered her, set her free, and that she had hopes and knowledge in her heart and faith that she was free and that no power of the past was going to overcome her. Why? Jesus' resurrection pronounced 
and announced his total victory, not only of death, but over Satan and the grave and hell. It was hope to overcome powers of her past. And I've got news for you today. Some of you have issues in your past. We all have issues in our past. Some of us need some hope today that Jesus, the same one who set Mary Magdalene free of her oppression, of her demonic activities and struggles, is available to set us free today. It's the same Jesus. It's the same resurrected Savior. He comes not only to set you free from your past, but to give you hope for living today. To give you hope. What is hope? Hope is future forward-looking. Hope is a, is a view towards the future that there is anticipated good coming your way. Do you know how important hope is? Absolutely essential hope is to life. Did you know that in, during World War II, Winston Churchill, who of course we know was the, uh, was the prominent face on the England resistance and the war against the Nazis, it was Winston Churchill that was asked the question during that season. He was asked, what was the greatest weapon that England possess, possesses against the Nazis? And you, you can imagine what they were looking for. They were looking for some breakdown of, of arm, armaments and weapon and missiles, whatever might be available. What, what is in our stockpile? And Winston Churchill answered, our greatest weapon is hope. You know, I think it could also be said today, people who don't have hope would clearly understand the difference between someone with hope and someone without. Hope is indispensable. Where there is no hope in the future, there is no power in the present. I'm going to say that again. Where there is no hope for the future, there is no power in the present. If you don't have a hope that's given to you by Jesus, because I don't know about you, but if I try to base hope upon conditions, if I, kind of, if I base my hope on the news report, if I base my hope on looking around in society and looking at the globe today, I don't think I've got much hope except that I've read the rest of the story. I've read the end of the book, and I know how it ends. Jesus comes to give us hope, to offer us hope. It is indispensable. Doesn't the Bible tell us that he will never leave you or forsake you? That's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Listen to that promise. He will never leave you or forsake you. Once you have expressed faith in Jesus Christ, and if you haven't, you can do it today, he gives you the promise that he will stick with you. He will not forsake you. When it gets to be difficult times, he'll even get closer to you. You don't have to fear that he's a, a fair-weather friend. He's going to stick with you, and he will never leave you alone again. That's my hope that I know who Jesus is and I know what he's promised and I know that I can trust him. Listen carefully. There are no hopeless situations in your life today. Listen, I said there are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. As a Christian, you have no basis to be hopeless because we have a blessed hope. We have the author of hope himself. We have Jesus Christ. 
the author of hope that we can cling to. That's what Mary Magdalene was looking, looking for here at the tomb. And she received that hope. Today, the resurrection changes everything. In fact, it can change your hopeless situation into one filled with hope. I could tell you many stories personally and in the lives of others who have been at the darkest point in life, who have faced in what seemed to be insurmountable difficulties, adversities, only to see Jesus come through. He is faithful. And I want you to know there are no hopeless situations. There are just hopeless people. Let Jesus today give you the hope that you need to live life. Let's look at number two, if we may. He brings peace to the fearful. He brings peace to the fearful. If you'll notice in verse 19 that we read earlier, it says, on the evening of that first day of the week, so this wasn't long after the news broke about his resurrection, but it was at this point it was just talk. All right? So watch this. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, when the doors were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, Peace be with you. Can you get this picture? What's going on? The disciples are hanging out together because they're absolutely fearful of what's coming their way. They do not know what's going on. There's, still, there's rumors flying around Jerusalem. They don't know whether they're the next, next to get killed. And out of fear of the Jews, out of fear of rejection, maybe even the fear of death, full probably also of a little bit of guilt for not staying with him to the very bitter end, I think they're struggling with all those emotions. And here we find them huddled together in a room, just hanging out together, fearful of who's going to knock on the door next. And the scripture said, Jesus came and he stood among them. I just like that. It says when the doors, one translation says, when the doors were shut, they had closed those doors. They may have even locked those doors. I kind of think that they did. They closed those doors out of fear. Listen to me. Never try to shut Jesus out of your life, all right? Never close the doors on him. He can also find a way to get through them, by the way, all right? But the disciples had the doors closed out of fear for the Jews. They had totally forgotten about his promises. They had forgotten, at least didn't express faith in the fact that he had promised that he would return. And what happens? Jesus comes and it says, I love just that verse. He came and he stood inside. He just comes and stands on the inside. Do you know what comforts me? The fact that he knows that when I'm in fearful moments, he'll just come and appear. He'll just be there. His presence is there to help drive away your fears. We all have fearful moments. The disciples were shrinking back in fear, having forgotten his promises. They had assembled. Yep, the disciples had assembled together, but this was the assembly of the fearful, not the assembly of the faithful. They had assembled. I guess that was good. But they had assembled in the wrong way. And here we find Jesus coming, standing right in the midst of them. Listen to me carefully. Jesus Christ is inevitable. 
He is unavoidable. He is irresistible. And he wants to come and stand in the midst of your fearful moment, no matter what you have shrunk back from, no matter what you're running away from. He wants to come and he wants to speak peace to you. It tells us in the scripture that we read that when he walked in, he stood in the door. I'm sure they were shocked. You know what he just said? Peace. Now, peace was a common greeting of the day. It was a familiar greeting. But when Jesus said peace, it wasn't just hi. It wasn't just hello. It wasn't just greetings. It wasn't just, hey, how's it going? When he said peace, he was releasing something to them. He was not only saying peace, but he was imparting peace to them. Think about it. Jesus always knows what your greatest point of need is. When, you need, when you're in fear, you need to have those fears dismissed. Peace is so powerful. The idea of peace is not just the absence of conflict. The idea of peace is the fact of God's presence and power being there to just settle everything. Would you allow his peace today to come and minister to you maybe in your own fears. Peace, he said. Now, he goes beyond that, and we can look at the third of our changes. We said he gives hope to the hopeless. He also brought peace to the fearful. The third change that he brought is that he gives assurance to doubts. He gives assurance to our doubts. All of us here, I'm sure, can admit that we have been doubters. We have been doubters. There are times, even as Christians, with Bible in hand and scriptures memorized, we still fall into doubt. Am I right? Jesus came in this particular story that we read to demonstrate that he's there to provide assurance for us. We read about it. He showed them what? Instantly, he showed them his hands. He showed them his side as if to what? Immediately address doubts that they had about what? Is this a ghost? Is this for real? Are we having a dream? You know what I'm talking about? That feeling like, is this, is this a real moment or not? He didn't hesitate. He immediately demonstrated, even before Thomas later asked demanded to see the evidence, Jesus just immediately showed it. Here it is. Why? He understands the need to address our doubts. Assurance. Why? He wanted to convince men of who he was. Still today, he wants to convince people of his identity. He also wanted to give them proof of his total victory. Because that hole in his hand and the hole in his side was evidence and actual proof that everything that he said he was going to do at the cross happened. It was proof that every promise that had been made for hundreds of years about what the Messiah would do for us had already been paid for. That Jesus had taken the price for our sins. That he took the guilt upon himself. That was evidence. Evidence. Of that fact, praise God. He provided proof 
of his resurrection, the fact that he is alive. I love the Scottish preacher commentator G. Campbell Morgan, and he made this comment about that verse. He said, He came to them with the signature of that treaty of peace written in his hands and his sides. I like also the fact that verse 29 is included after the Thomas interaction, and Jesus said this, Blessed are you, Thomas, because now you believe. Now you've seen. I've demonstrated to you, given you evidence, physical evidence here. But he added that little phrase. He said, what? Blessed are those who have not seen but still believe. How many of you here are among that group? We haven't had the chance to see physically those scars. But we still believe. He's pronouncing a blessing on those of you here today. Blessed are those who have not seen but who believe. Praise God. He gives assurance to our doubts. And I hope today you're one of those who believes. Let's look at the fourth change that's transacted. The fourth one, oh, I wanted to show you a picture. I just thought that was a beautiful piece of artwork of, of a, of a, of a well-known Italian painter showing Thomas's uh, doubtful, now alarmed face as he's checking out. The wounds in Jesus. Let's look at number four. Number four, he sends the Spirit to indwell us. We're talking about the changes that the resurrection brings. In John chapter 20, we also see that when Jesus showed up in verse 22, it says this. May I read it again to you? So you just get the full effect. And then, this is right after he said in verse 21, Peace be with you again. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Look at verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Can you just picture this? Sometimes it's hard for us to get it in our minds. Jesus has been in there. They're probably still in shock. And he came in and he pronounced peace. And now he looks at his disciples And he did this. He breathed onto them. Literally, the the language there suggests that he inbreathed them. It wasn't breathing on them as much as it was breathing into them something. It's interesting because we know that God is the author of life. And we know that when creation story is told, we read that God gave man the breath of of life, meaning physical life, soulish life at that time. But you know what? Sin came to snuff out that life. And so here we have disciples who were following after him in faith, but Jesus had just completed the ultimate sacrifice for men's lives and for their sins. He had been promising them from John chapter 14. He'd been saying things like this. Listen, you've been with me a long while. You know the Holy Spirit. I'm getting ready to send to you another comforter. You know him already. You may not think you know him, but you know him because he's been with you. In what form? He's been with you in the fact that you've been hanging out with me for for these years, and he's been in me, so you, you know him because he's been in me. 
But I'm going to send him to you because I'm going to have to leave. And whenever I leave, I'm going to send to you another paraclete, another comforter. And it says, you, he has been with you, but then he said this in John chapter 14, and he shall be in you. He's been with you, but he's going to be in you. This is the fulfillment of what he prophesied in John 14. And he goes up to them and he goes, <gasps> and at the moment, he did that. The effects of his death at the cross and his resurrection now came in the form of a regenerative spirit. The Holy Spirit now indwelt those men and women. Came to live on the inside of them. They had already put their faith in Jesus. Now they received the regeneration that was necessary. The Spirit's presence was now in them. As a little boy, as a good Baptist boy, the language we use was, will you open up your heart and let Jesus come in? What it means when we open up our heart and let Jesus come in is it means the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. He indwells us. This is what took place in John 20. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, I also believe that there is also a distinctive infilling with the Holy Spirit. That's not what's being addressed here. What's being addressed here is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's the indwelling of the Spirit that takes us to heaven. It's the indwelling of the Spirit that brings Jesus to live on the inside of us. And this was regenerative. In the same way that they, that moment, were regenerated by the presence of the Holy Spirit, from that moment on, any person who puts faith in Jesus Christ, the moment that you're born again and reborn in the Spirit, guess what happens? It's as if He inbreathes you once again. And you receive the same Holy Spirit that the disciples did. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? The same Holy Spirit that empowered them, the same Holy Spirit that was with them when they, when they went through all the book of Acts, it's that same Holy Spirit. It lives in you once you put your trust in Jesus Christ. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He has sealed you by the Spirit until the day of redemption. He said, receive. Receive the Spirit as He breathed into them. Jesus Told Nicodemus, John chapter 3, Nicodemus, you must have rebirth. It's not optional. You must be born again. And this is the moment where rebirth took place in those disciples. What a wonderful day. Hey, good news is it's available for you today. If you don't know Jesus, if you already know Jesus, you have, whether you know it or not, you have the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you haven't had a rebirth experience, you can do it today and experience that Holy Spirit's presence. Our last change that we want to see today is that he offers us purpose for living, purpose for life. we go back to verse 21 to illustrate this. Listen to what he said in verse 21. And Jesus spoke to these disciples and said this, Peace with you. Once again, he reminds them of the peace. Peace with you. As the Father has sent me, I 
am sending you. As the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. Sometimes we fall into the habit of thinking that our Christian experience is just about all we can just get. Gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. You know what I'm saying? It's just all we, we think it's all of just What we forget is Jesus came to give us purpose. He has a job, a purpose for you to do on this earth. The day will come. Our days are numbered. God has that under control. But as long as you're here on the earth, how about doing something for purpose? How about doing something on purpose? How about getting out of the rat race, which most of, most of us are losing anyway, right? How about getting out of the rat race and adopting some kind of an eternal purpose for your life here on earth? That's what he was giving to them. He said, I'm sending you. I'm dispatching you out. Yes, we're having this little meeting up here in this room. But now I've re- I've, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit's presence, and I'm now dispatching you. I'm sending you out just Look what he said. Just like the Father sent me. How did the Father send him? With authority. With divine authority. With purpose in mind. Jesus knew what he came to earth to do. He never lost sight of what his purpose on earth was. He set his face. He knew exactly what it was. He never took his eyes off Jerusalem. He knew he was going to have to go to the cross. He knew what he was going to have to suffer in order to finish his mission. And now he's saying, in the same way of clear, salient, focused, vision, purpose, that the Father sent me to earth, now I'm sending you. Go and do it. Do you think that his sending today is any less than it was then? I believe that every person, I believe God has a purpose in ascending for every one of us. When I say ascending, I simply mean a divine purpose and assignment here on this earth. His sending was sending them to literally transform the world with the love of God, the good news of his death and his resurrection. But whenever God sends, he always sends with authority. Whatever he tells you to do, he gives you the authority to do it. That's so important. You're not just operating on your own. You're operating with his authority. Why is he sending them out? Because he's basically saying, I'm getting ready to go to heaven. I'm getting ready to be ascended to heaven. So now it's on you. I've given this three and a half years. I've showed you how to live. I've showed you how to heal people. I've showed you how to deal with demons. I've showed you how to do miracles. And, and, and doesn't the scripture say, and you'll even do greater these things greater than he did because you believe now it's up to you you're the church now you are christ's body on earth now you do it i'm getting ready i finished my part now it's on you so what implication do you think that has for you and for me today i believe god has purpose for you i believe that god wants you to own your sending and be prepared to find out Follow your mission to make a difference in this world. Pastors and evangelists and prophets and teachers, they're not the only ones with some kind of a a ministry mission. Every single one of us should have a ministry mission. Do you know what your purpose is today? If not, I suggest that you get in touch with the one who sins. Today we've looked at five clear changes that took place right there in that room where he gathered with his disciples, 
He gave hope to the hopeless. He also gave peace to the fearful. He gives assurance to the doubters. He sends the Spirit to indwell us, and He offers purpose for living. Would you pray with me? I'm going to open up as I close a time for personal, for just prayer for you. But I want to make this a very broad invitation. If there's some aspect of the message today, maybe it's the, the fact that you have been fearful. You find yourself kind of like those disciples that are locked up in their room, fearful for what's going to happen. Maybe you're hopeless today. Maybe you're kind of like Mary Magdalene who was thinking, uh-oh, maybe my past is getting ready to come back. Maybe you need the hope of the freedom that he wants to offer. Maybe you find yourself, you love God, but maybe you're just in need of hope today. The Easter, Easter offers hope. The resurrection offers release from fear. Maybe you're here today and you need just to know for sure that your sins are forgiven. And maybe you don't know Jesus. That's We'd be happy to pray for you as well so that you can come to Christ. But even as Christians, some of us need not only the same kind of relief and peace and hope that we read about, but maybe we also need a clear sense of purpose. Maybe some of us say, I, I just don't know. You can't know. So I'm just going to invite you, if there's any part of this message today that speaks to you, whether you're a Christian, you're not a Christian, or you're falling away from the Lord, whatever your spiritual condition is, that's okay. I just want to pray for you. So I'm just going to ask that you be bold enough just to lift your hand. Say, would you include me in this prayer? Just lift your hand high. Say, I'm in a situation where I really need God's help, just like he showed up on that day in John 20. Keep your hands lifted if you want prayer. All right, see him. I see him. I see him. You can put your hands down. Can we all stand together as I pray for these? I want our prayer teams to come to the front. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer of faith for you. Those of you that lifted your hands and, and asked for prayer, and I'm going to pray. But if you make a decision for Jesus today and you pray this prayer with me and you know that Jesus now you're at a new place in your walk and you made a decision to follow after him maybe it's a first time decision or maybe it's a rededication I don't want you to leave without coming and speaking to one of our prayer workers they're just going to pray with you and bless you before you leave today but those of you who raised your hand for whatever that need is can we just pray right now and ask God to meet it Father God, today we're grateful that we could come on such a special occasion. It's special because we're remembering. We're being reminded today the power of the resurrection to change everything. Lord, there's some of us here today who say we need that change. Some of us here today, Lord, that need one aspect or the other that change. And I pray for them today. I pray against fear in Jesus' name. Lord, I ask that you would touch and minister to people who are bound with one fear or the other. 
They may be shrinking back in life or shrinking back into the past. And I rebuke fear. And I pray, Lord, today that you give them release from their fear. Speak that same word of peace into them right now. For those that are here today who are lacking hope, who seem to not have that positive, hopeful outlook on the future, today I pray that hope would erupt on the inside of them. Lord, today I pray for those who are in different situations of need in their lives. Lord, today we're just reminded of how great and how powerful you are. And I pray that you'd meet those needs in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for Christians here today who lack a sense of purpose. Some who need clarity some who need wisdom and direction. And I pray today for a spiritual light to go on. I pray for a, 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 an awakening to destiny. I pray for an awakening to life purpose and life assignment that would happen right now for each and every one of them. Father, I pray for those today who do not have a walk and a relationship with you or maybe they've run away from you or been wounded or hurt. I pray that today... Lord, that they would accept you and let you take control of their life. Wash them from their sins and their past and make them new. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.